Luke chapter 16, verse, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. That was dramatic. I'll try that again. <laughs> just run that off the tape and we'll do this again. Luke, all right, chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus gives a parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then Jesus looks at the crowd and says, this is how it will be for with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of God. I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorite parables because I sort of like this proud guy getting what's coming to him. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, okay, yeah, there, you, you think you've got it? Great, it's not, it, it's not really yours, and uh, boy, you're going to be in trouble because your priorities are all wrong. One of those parables where I go, yeah, I'm not like that, right? Because I don't have that kind of wealth. I'm not, I'm not laying aside those things. And, and uh, I can tend to go that direction. But this is not just a parable, I think, about misallocated resources. It's also a lesson in who gets the credit for things that we accomplish. Who gets the credit? One of the biggest lies, I think, voiced in our culture is that the one that says you can be whatever you want to be as long as you believe in yourself and you keep on trying. Right? You've got to believe in yourself, and you've got to keep on trying. Now, it's important to, to have self-confidence, and we all know perseverance and accomplishment generally go hand in hand. There's this best-selling book by uh, Angela Duckworth called Grit, and talks about you know, the people that persevere through everything. Certainly, that's important. But over and above just what we are able to do in terms of self-confidence and our own perseverance, there's something that we really cannot control. There's no mindset or continual effort that would have made me an NBA star. I want to share that with you. I mean, I could have really tried and desired and, and worked on my jump shot, but I don't have the physical capability of doing what an NBA star does. Nor do I have the ability to be an expert in quantum physics, which I would never want to be anyway, but I just don't have, well, I, I just don't have that ability, right? There are things that we are, are, are given the many times we don't realize or appreciate or give the credit to really where it's deserved. I, my grandson, uh, whose name is Keller, Keller Johnson, he is a uh, fourth grader and he's very tall. He's already five foot two as a fourth grader, nine years old. And uh, he probably is slated to be well over six feet and we just think this is really exciting because he's got, uh, he's got a future maybe in the NBA that I didn't have, right? So uh, my son-in-law and daughter moved into a new home next door to a family where the father is a coach of a, of a club basketball team. And he got to know Keller, got to know his age, said, oh, I coach boys this age. And his eyes lit up when he found out how tall he was. And my, my uh, daughter said to him, well, you know, he's still a little bit uh, sketchy in terms of his basketball skills. And uh, his, he, he looked at my daughter and he said, look, uh, you... You can teach skills, but you can't teach tall. 
there's something that he has that he didn't do anything for. I, I think we all secretly, I, I don't know, I, I've got to share that. I think we all secretly desire the, the credit, don't you? I sort of want people to give me credit for things that I do. Uh, I, I watched a, a summit video recently and uh, it's sort of the history of our, of our church. And I, and, and I have to confess to you, I was looking for me. I mean, do you have any shots? Do you have any gym shots in there, right? I want to say, and you know, I, I, I hesitate to share that with you because it's so self-focused. But it is innate in all of us. I think all of us want to get the credit and maybe better put in terms of our theme, all of us would like to get the glory. So there, there's the question. Who, who gets the credit for the positive things you've done? Who gets the glory? Last week we talked about glory and we talked about it in terms of defining it. And we talked about two words, a Hebrew word and a Greek word that defined glory. The, the, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, kavod or kavod means weighty or, or of great substance. And it's used all throughout the Old Testament talking about the glory of God. And the New Testament word is, is the Greek word doxa. And uh, it, is, it is a word that means praise, splen or, or, uh, splendor, and majesty, talking about something that's majestic and splendid in nature. And we saw that God's glory provides light and joy and hope. Trimper Longman says that God's glory is more than his character. It extends beyond God himself into an environment of God-like presence. And when we come here to church, we're reminded of the songs we sing, the scripture we read, that God is present. And with his presence comes his glory. So we made an attempt to define what is what John called amorphous, which I like that word. It's hard to get your arms around it. But we, we're, we're trying to get a better glimpse of what glory really means. But that doesn't mean uh, we can't increase our knowledge, even if our knowledge is incomplete. But here's the question for today. So where does glory go? Where is it directed? The answer might seem obvious to us all, but digging a little deeper in, in Scripture, there are nuances that give us a bit more insight in where glory needs to be directed. So last week we did glory defined. Today we will do glory directed. And next week, as we continue on this theme of, of God's glory, glory done. What, what is it that we actually do uh, when, we, when we give glory? So if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 17 or pull your bulletins out, I want to read a text uh, from, from uh, this gospel. It is a prayer that Jesus prays. It's, it's one of the most beautiful and um, striking prayers in all of Scripture, of course, prayed by our Lord. And uh, he is in the garden uh, right before his trial and his crucifixion. And these are the words in part of what he prays. John 17, beginning with verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given them comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Look at verse 10. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. Now down to verse 22 and verse 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of God. So in this passage, interesting, Jesus as he prays. Now remember, he is getting ready to be betrayed and arrested and he's going to be tried, he's going to be tortured and he's going to be crucified. And yet Jesus takes time to go before the Father and pray. And pray, this has been called the high priestly prayer or, or, uh, and, and the subtitle in my NIV says, Jesus prays to be glorified. But there's a glory theme that runs through this, this prayer that is beautifully rendered. So in this passage, Jesus gives us both the sources and the recipients of glory. And when glory is given, we talked last week about defining glory, but now we're talking about what it means to take that glory and extend it and what it, what it means when we glorify someone. We, we give the recipient honor. We give them praise. We give them worship. We acknowledge their power, their great accomplishments. And there also, interestingly enough, is an implicit recognition that glorifying God and suffering sometimes go hand in hand. And that's, frankly, a sermon for another day. But it's interesting to me that sometimes the, the path to, to glory and glorifying God takes us through a valley of suffering. Obviously, Jesus was our example here as he had to endure this. So I, I, you might have, I've asked myself, well, why does God need our glory? What, why, why would he need our glory? I mean, is it, is it something that, that he has to have? Or, or what's, what's the process of that? So it, it, admiring and praising and giving glory to God uh, is not saying that he absolutely needs it. In fact, God doesn't need our glory at all, our praise or, or any validation of his character and holiness. But when we do that, what happens is we are the beneficiaries of that giving of, of glory to God. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio. Toledo's not known for tons of stuff. I don't know if I'd recommend it as a place to live or vacation. But uh, uh, it's got some pretty interesting parts to it. And one of them is the Toledo Museum of Art, which is considered one of the, the finest uh, museums uh, in the country. Uh, Edward Drummond Libby of Libby Glass was a very wealthy Toledoan, and he had a fabulous art collection, and he constructed a museum. And uh, I remember often going as, as, uh, as a child and as an adolescent and, and a young adult to this museum, just beautiful works of art. And one of my favorite pieces was, was a, a Van Gogh, uh, it was a, a, a painting of a sunflower field, and it was the most striking painting. And I remember 
going into that museum, it didn't cost anything back then to go in. I just would go in and I would sit on a bench and I would look at that painting and I would admire that painting. Now, as I, if I brought someone else along, I would, I would mention things I liked about it. I praised the painting. As I praised that painting, that painting did not sort of puff up in its little frame and, and say, oh, yes, I'm really something. Not at all. That painting was the masterpiece. What benefited from the praise was me as I, as I appreciated the beauty and the majesty of that painting. God doesn't puff up when we glorify him. We're the ones who, who are brought into relationship, a deeper relationship with him when we give him glory. So let's, let's look at a couple of verses here real quickly and let's see what Jesus says in terms of where, where this glory is directed. Who, who, who gets the glory? First person is God the Father, obviously. Look at verse 4 again. I've brought you, Jesus says, glory. He's talking to the Father. I've brought you, Father, glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Paul says in Romans 15, verse 6, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called into this glorification process as well. We give glory to God the Father. So the first place the glory is directed is to the Father. Why? That's a good question. Well, I think one of the reasons is he's the one who gave us life. He's the one who gave us life. You know, back to this Luke 12 passage. The, this, this rich man, interesting, isn't it, that, that Jesus says there was a rich man. This man was already wealthy. He already had plenty of wealth. And yet now he has the bumper crop and it just exceeds his, even his expectations. And as he goes through his, his, his little monologue, you will notice the first person pronoun uh, mentioned six times and, and the possessive pronoun first person one time. Seven times he says, I, 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 my. Not one thought on who provided it. Not one thought in terms of, oh, you know, I planted the crop, but I didn't make it grow. I didn't come up with it. I didn't create the seeds. The glory, only glory he gave was to himself, and it was misdirected glory. Now, the Father is the one who needs to receive the glory. That's the first one. A few years ago, I tried to... Uh, make a list of all the classics literature that we had to read when we were in high school and we didn't really enjoy. I thought, you know, I need to, I need to figure out what the deal is with these classics. And, and um, so I, I started reading some Dickens and I, I actually started to enjoy it. They, these are really great authors. I go, oh, this is what they wanted us to see. You know, this, I'm just 40 years too late, right? Uh, but one of the books that I, that I uh, downloaded on my Kindle was Les Miserables, Victor Hugo. And uh, I could do the abridged or unabridged. Folks, if you do the unabridged, just get ready for a six-month experience if you read every day. I'm telling you, that book is long and it is tedious. Uh, there's six chapters on the sewer system below Paris. I swear to you, that's in the book. I mean, that's, that's how that book is written. It is fascinatingly written. It's a beautiful, beautiful novel. You know the story. You've seen the movie. You've seen the musical. You know, Jean Valjean, who's, who's a convict, and, and, and he's... Um, loved and, and given grace by a priest, uh, and he becomes a committed believer, a follower of Christ. And he 
tries to do good in the town where he's in. Uh, in, in the novel, he's not in jail just once, but twice. I mean, it is, it's tragedy after tragedy, and yet he raises this beautiful girl into a young woman. He, he's a father to her. He provides for her. Uh, he, he, he's a wealthy man because of, of all the hard work that he's done. And you just, he's just an all-around great guy, frankly. And his daughter, or his adopted daughter, falls in love with, with, a, with a young man who, who's a revolutionary. You know the story. He saves his life. Do you know at the end of that book, and this is, you don't see this in the movie, it's not very much fun what happens to Jean Valjean. Because Cosette goes on, she marries and she's part of this family. You know what happens to Jean Valjean? He's, he, he's found out to be a convicted convict and he's, he's shunned from the family. He can't even have a relationship with his daughter. After all he has done, the father doesn't get the glory. And I read that and I'm going, this is, this is not a fun ending. This isn't a movie ending. And you know what the real offense is? Here's this man who has done all, all this sacrificial love. And only in the, the very last days of his life does his daughter and his son-in-law understand the, the, the hurt that's been caused him. And in his dying last two weeks, they finally come around to give him the glory that he needs. And that is just sad. There's something wrong about that. You know what's wrong? It's when I don't give God the Father glory for what he's given me. When I neglect the things that I've been given and, and just assume that they're rightfully mine. Jesus wanted to please his father. Jesus stated several times when he was here on earth, I have come to do the will of my father. I want to glorify my father. Second point, second place where the glory goes. You see it also in Jesus' prayer. Jesus prays for it, and he prays for it straightforwardly, and, and he prays for it uh, in, 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 the, in the power of the Spirit. Verse, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify whom? Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Verse 10, all I have, Father, is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. Through, who's them? It's through the, 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 the men and women who have followed him. We talked about this last week, and you see it more clearly now. Glory is a, re, is a relational concept. It's not just some ethereal, okay, this is beautiful and majestic, and, and we sing glory, but it is relational. When you glorify someone, you are in relationship with that. It, it, it's relational. You see this very clearly in how Jesus prays this prayer. You see this deep and abiding love that the Father has for him and he has for the Father. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. So the next focus of our glory isn't just God the Father, but it's God the Son. We give God the Son, Jesus, glory. Why? Well, the Father gave us life. Jesus came to give us life again. Jesus came to give us spiritual life. The question can be asked, and I've asked it in the past, isn't praising the Father and the Son the same thing? Praising God the Father, God the Son, isn't that the same thing? Well, and, and my answer is, well, yes and no. How's that for clarity for thought, right? Yes and no. There certainly is a distinction that Jesus himself makes in John 17. 
If, and if Jesus is fully God, then why the differentiation? Well, my answer is because Jesus was also fully man. This is the great mystery of the incarnation. This is Jesus, fully God and fully man. And he came to give us spiritual life. Scripture is replete with the praises to the Son. And Jesus asked the Father to share his glory unashamedly. Father, give me your glory. And he expresses his pleasure. The glory has also come through those who have believed in him. So I think Jesus is our example in glorifying God. John 5, verse 30, Jesus says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus is there saying, come to do the will of the Father. I come to please him. So the key to Jesus' glorification is obedience to the Father and resisting the temptation to take that glory just for himself. We touched last week on this whole concept of, of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness after his 40 days of fasting where Satan came to him and tempted him. And we glorify him because he resisted that temptation. Uh, he, he, was, he was tempted to take a glory shortcut. There are no shortcuts to glory. They all end in disaster. So Jesus was obedient to the end. He was obedient even to death. I just finished a book um, called Mornings on Horseback. It's a, it's a biography of Theodore Roosevelt, and it doesn't take his whole life into account, but his childhood up to his um, uh, beginning to get involved in politics. It's a fascinating book, and, and uh, it talks quite in depth about his family, being raised in New York City, what it meant to be a Roosevelt, what it meant to grow up in a wealthy family. His father was also named Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt Sr., who is probably, as, as you read this book, he's probably one of the finest men I've ever read about. He, he, not, he certainly had a lot of wealth, but he, he was very philanthropic. He, he gave liberally to, to people in need. He, he was very committed to his faith. Uh, he expressed his faith in very clear and direct ways. And Theodore Jr. grew up in this household. Not only did he grow up in the household, but he had, had a sister and a brother as well. His brother, Elliot, uh, was younger. Two brothers, same family. Both loved their father. Both admired their father. But Theodore Roosevelt was different than Elliot in this way. Theodore Roosevelt wanted to, wanted to honor his father with his life. You see it all the way through his young life and his letters he exchanged Father, I, I want to please you, and, and, and in a sense, he didn't say it in this way. I want, I want to give you the glory. I want to glorify you. I want to lift you up. Not only loved his father, but he, he wanted to honor him. Elliot, the other brother, loved his father dearly. And he, he was a lovely man, but he could not bring himself to honor the father's direction. Theodore Roosevelt became a president. Elliot Roosevelt, in his early 30s, died of alcoholism. Just because you love God does not mean automatically you will glorify him. Humility and glory go hand in hand. God the Father we glorify, praise him, we worship him. God the Son. But here's the surprising thing, and I, I thought this was pretty delightful as I read this. Hey, you know who else gets the glory? Us. Us. We who believe in Christ. We who follow him. We get to share in this glory. I reminded you of this, this last week. You and I were created for glory. 
we sense that. We have the sense of eternal in us. That's what Ecclesiastes says. God, God, God put eternity in our hearts. And Jesus says in verse 22, I have given them, his disciples, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. There's that relational aspect. You see that unity there. Our temptation really is the same that Jesus was tempted with. We can have wealth, we can have power, and even worship without glorifying God. And if you're like me, sometimes I forget where it comes from. Who gets the credit? But our desire for these things are centered around what we can receive. We all want to have that admiration. We want to have that glory from others. But all those things, wealth, position, power, notoriety, relationships that serve us, all those things are no more than a tragic shortcut. We see it in the parable in Luke 12, this, this, this rich man who is just, he's setting himself up. for This is the American dream parable, is it not? Early retirement, sell the business, cash it in. I'm going to sit back. I'm just going to take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What, what better life can you imagine? And God says, you fool. Because self-glory is a quickly fading glory. Its value didn't last. I told you last week my little little brushes with fame and glory. Um, baseball I received for the for the uh, top uh, batting average on my team, and and uh, uh, I told you about in high school I was the most outstanding dramatic student, most outstanding band member. The award ceremony we didn't know who was going to get it. I, I was just like, oh, I got the award. Well, everyone who got any kind of award that day got to wear a rose. I swear to you, I wore that rose with pride. I had this long-stemmed rose that, I, that was pinned to my sweater. And I remember walking around all day with this rose on thinking, wow, this is it. <laughs> Look at the rose. And I remember going home that night and taking it off and going, I don't think I can go back with this tomorrow. That rose faded pretty quickly. My most outstanding speaker award, I got a big trophy. It's got a big, big eagle on top of it with a plaque. You know where that thing is? I was pulling on my garage tonight, coming over here. You know, you know what I saw on my shelf? It's, it's in my garage, folks. <laughs> Glory fades. You know the glory you and I get? It's the glory we get to re reflect back to God. As we give him glory, then he glorifies us. As we give the son glory, he glorifies us. Here's what Christians know and embrace. We don't get glory, we are given glory through the grace of God. God reflects his glory back to us as we seek to glorify him and as we glorify his son. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he, God, will exalt you. He will lift you up. And I love the last phrase, at the proper time. Not your time, not my time, at the proper time. My dad taught me how to play baseball. And um, 
It's one of the reasons I, I, I love my dad. He was a great athlete, and I, I just remember going out in the backyard and, and uh, playing catch. He'd throw me grounders. I wanted to learn how to field grounders. I was left-handed, and I wanted to play first base. Uh, when I was an adult, my dad and I were talking about that, and I said, Dad, remember, remember those times? He goes, yeah. He says, I, I didn't think you'd ever catch a ball. I went, what? What are you talking about? He says, yeah, you weren't that good, Jim, really. It, it, it <laughs> took a long time to get you to catch a ball. I said, I, I don't remember that. I don't remember one negative thing my dad ever told me about playing. He just gave me encouragement. I appreciated that. I told you I made the all-star team, the last, last team I played on. Uh, I didn't get in that game. It was a seven-inning game. I, I didn't get into the fifth inning. I was one of the, the sort of the also-ran players that got to in at the end of the game. So I got in the fifth inning. I was on first first base. I was playing defense, and uh, runner was on first. I was holding him, and, and the runner at the plate, it was a close game. He was going to sacrifice bunt the runner down to second, put him in scoring position. So I held the runner until the pitcher was you know, pitching the ball, and then I did what good first basemen do. I charged the plate because I knew the bunt was going to be laid down. The guy had squared already and uh, did that a couple times. That's what we do. And uh, third time that, that kid squared for the bunt, he popped it up in foul territory, first base side. I'm in a full run to the plate. I veer to my left because it's foul territory. It wasn't a very high pop. It was going to fall to the earth, and I extended myself, and I found myself leaving my feet full parallel to the ground, and the ball landed in my mid as I crashed to the ground on the All-Star game, which is, I just think, one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. <laughs> and when you do something like that you've never done before, you get up and you pretend like you've done it all, every day of your life. You just throw it back, and you, you run back and go, yeah, okay, here I am. Next guy, foul fly, shallow right field, foul territory. I'm running and catch the ball. Or the, you know, or the top of my head, full run. I just, oh, there I am. Jim Keller, all-star, right? So my coach came a couple days later to my house to pick up my uniform, and he brought me the ball that they put my name on with my batting average. I thought that was cool. Here's my dad. My dad's there. My, this is what my dad said. I said, Coach, you should have been at the all-star game. I'll never forget this. He said, Jim made two of the best catches you'll ever want to see. I said, Father giving glory to the sun. That, that picture is so vivid in my mind, I remember, that, I remember exactly where we were in our house, and I'll never forget those words. So fast forward three decades, three decades? Yeah, three decades. My dad's in his late 70s. He only had about a year, year and a half to live. I didn't know it at the time. He and my mom came to a marriage conference. I was speaking at Tampa. And, and uh, during this marriage conference, there was a talk on, uh, for, for the men on dad, how to be an effective father. And my dad's in the audience while I'm giving the dad talk, which is just so weird, I want to tell you. So I'm telling people how to be a dad. My dad's there. And I have that example, my, my, my all-star. And, and I talk about my dad giving me glory my dad's in the audience, and, and I'm telling the story, and my dad, when I finish the story, says from the audience, I'm looking down, and he says, and my dad, you've got to know my dad, he's not, he's not this kind of a guy where he's going to speak like this, but it's just like it shocked me. He says, and he said, you were the only player that scored for your team on the all-star team. And I looked at my dad, and I said, I think you're right. I had totally forgotten about it. Here's the reason I forgot about it. I walked. I didn't get a hit. <laughs> I, 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 the, the pitcher was awful. He walked the bases loaded. I was walked home, okay? 
you know what? My dad remembered it. You see it? It's interesting. I'm giving glory to the Father. Father reflects glory back to the Son. Where are you giving the glory? Where's it going? To the one who gave you life? To the one who gave you new life? Because that's the only way that we're going to understand what true glory is and experience it the way God wants us to experience. God's glory extended to you is the only glory that lasts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and care for us. Thank you for life. Thank you that we get to experience the things of beauty and wonder in this world because you have gifted us with something that we couldn't give ourselves. And I pray that for myself and for each man and woman here, that you would help us understand that, that the glory, the credit, the praise, the honor only resides properly in one place. And that's at your feet, God the Father, and at your feet, God the Son. And we give you the glory because you have done great things for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to experience your glory. Thank you you've made us for this wonderful thing that we call salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.